Life is full of surprises. Some good, some not so much. Hola, it's Honey. Hola, it's Carolina. Y sabes que estar preparado para cualquier cosa es importante. Whether that's in our roles as mothers, wives, businesswomen, or podcasters. On our show Life in Spanglish, you know that being open to unexpected turns has been an important part of our success. Pero we can use some help. Oh yes, la buena ayuda is welcome. Y si pasa algo, tranquilitos. Isn't it good knowing that with a State Farm agent you can worry less because someone will be personally invested in safeguarding your goals? Plus, they have the options to talk to a real person whenever a customer needs, especially when those unexpected turns come up. It's the personalized attention you can count on. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama. And when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tudor Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. Custard TV podcast time. Luke here, runner and editor of the custardtv.com. I'm already sport my weekend because it's Saturday as we record, but I had a visitor over today and we had a Sunday lunch. So that has just oh. thrown me thrown me through a loop. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. So do you have to have now. a Saturday lunch tomorrow? Are you one of these people that when you're at home you'll have your dinner for lunch and then like a sandwich at from six o'clock or on a Saturday I would have sort of lunch at lunchtime and, and dinner at dinner time so I'd have like my normal soup or what have you at yeah. lunch but because the last couple of Saturdays I've been going to the cinema I've been having my main meal at lunchtime so I'll just have a snack before I go to the cinema or just afterwards if that makes mm. sense Sunday I will always have my lunch my main meal at lunchtime I, I'm can just go sort of get ready for the for the week, if that makes sense, on, on Sunday evening and just have yeah. a little bit of something like soup normally. Do you, do you still have your bath after the Antics Roadshow or not? No, before. <laughs> <laughs> Get all snuggly for the, yeah, the weekend. Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. This week on the podcast, some drama that we believe is worth discussing. We've got ITV's <laughs> new four-part psychological thriller stroke uh, stroke supernatural thing the sister thing is we a good way to describe it really <laughs> we we uh we continue our foray into the behind the scenes working of the porn industry with the third episode of channel 4's adult material a new nordic noir started on bbc4 over the weekend that's called dna we'll look at that also what did dennis kelly do after utopia God only knows. It's called The Third Day, and we'll look into that in great depth. And then as well, the rewind, as we look at the penultimate two. If that is that a thing, penultimate two? Probably not. Uh, the two no. before the end 
of Freaks and Geeks. It's the uh, ultimate instalment of the Freaks and Geeks Rewind. How does that sound? That, that's, that was, sorry, that was the beef getting in the way of a perfectly good sentence that you just constructed. Thank you for taking <laughs> that on. <laughs> so let's start with ITV's new drama, The Sister. Uh, this is the first ITV drama for Neil Cross, who you may or may not know is the man behind BBC's Luther. This is a four-part drama, and because it's on ITV, all four parts are airing at 9pm across this week, Monday to Thursday. This stars Russell Tovey in, believe it or not, his first proper leading role. This starts with a young Russell Tovey about to commit suicide when he watches an appeal of a sister pleading for her sister to come home or whoever has her to come home and it stops him taking the tablets and as it is a drama in 2020 it then whizzes forward and we see that was in 2013 isn't it yeah yeah so then it whizzes forward and we see that the sister that russell had seen on the screen there is now his wife and then he gets a knock at the door by uh Dr. Foster's Bertie Carville as shadowy character Bob and this is a, a shock to Nathan played by Russell Tovey who doesn't want him interfering in his new life but Bob comes in and says they're going to dig up the woods they're going to discover her and I, I think pretty much those, those are to use an old podcast classic those are the basic it's building, building blocks of, <laughs> of, this, of this new drama i think if you go into it i don't think it needs to go into I, it anymore I, I, I but there's an insinuation was, that was, russell tovey and bob conspired together to uh, do something to this young girl who is who whose sister he is now married to and she's blissfully unaware of her husband's past so it's about him living with the guilt of what he's done we're not sure what he's done even by the end of the first episode we're not sure how these two are linked bob is a fan of the supernatural he appears on radio talking about the supernatural it's weird isn't it because luther is one of those shows where it's nuts but i'm able to go along with it because as nutty as it gets, and it does get proper nutty. Idris Elba grounds it. They, it sort of winks at you. See, the, see I was sorry. I was just going to say I was thinking about this, you know, when I was watching the sister and comparing it to Luther, and mm. and thinking I think Luther worked because you had that grounding presence in Warren Brown. That's very um, true. I hadn't thought about it. You know, that. The, the latter series after Warren Brown's character left the series for people who haven't seen it. <laughs> well done, that. Uh, <laughs> we we weren't massively into those latter series no. uh, as much, and I, but I think that character of Justin helped add the audience proxy really into this world of. You know this bonkers Luther and and Alice relationship and all. And he had the boss played by Saskia Reeves in that first mm-hmm. series. It was it was and more. Macintosh, Dermot Crowell. Yeah. You had a lot of sort of grounding presences there, didn't you? This doesn't have any of those those grounding presences, and that is why I struggled to just relax into it, let it wash over me, and enjoy it as a bit of fluff, which is what it is. It's not to be taken seriously in my view it, well, I didn't think so <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a bit of fluff really but I, I you know we're going to talk about a show later which takes some believing and some some thought going into it 
and that I relaxed into more. This I just felt was almost too much. The performances are just so in your face. For me, I felt like Bertie Carvel's Bob was in a completely different show. He, I mean, I didn't know anything about this going in apart from Russell Tavey was in it and it was from Neil Cross and that was about it, really. Yeah. And it fe- they do feel like they're in different programs. Yeah, most of it. that was my... my- key issue with it yeah i think the issue here is that there's there's scenes that just feel very blank it's deliberately misleading at some points i didn't quite know where we were in the story uh because it keeps flitting between these three timelines i think you want to rely on the fact that oh you don't know where this is going we don't know what nathan's done bob's a complete Nutter. Liability, and we'll just pop up in... I was half expecting it to be discovered that Bob actually wasn't real at one point. And that's no, like... he did feel very much like... Yeah. <laughs> like his sort of subconscious or, or what have you. Um, but, you know, we, we've praised Russell Tovey before. He's a, he's a likeable presence. He's really likeable. Like he's stripped away everything that, that we like about Russell Tovey in this yeah. For me, I don't know. Did you agree with that? No, I, I do. I know exactly yeah, what and, you mean. Because Russell Tovey's Russell Tovey's very good at being the everyman. He's very warm. He's very down to earth. I imagine most of the characters he plays are very close to him, and you always root for him. Here, he's so broken and haunted that it's really hard to get a handle on who he actually is. Closest we see to the Russell Tovey we know is in those 2009 scenes when yeah. he's this sort of Jack the Lad radio producer, yeah. but even then I think he he doesn't give enough there really. I think we're meant to see what he was like before this incident and and why I suppose he was thinking of taking his own life in 2013 before he saw the appeal on the TV. And then you've got Bertie Carvel playing it like something out of the Circus of Horrors. Completely unbelievable, even as this sort of slightly wacky... The voice Expert. he was doing was yeah. just it was, peculiar. It was, it was Papa Lazarou levels. <laughs> yeah. It was I wish, also, instead of Nathan, hello, I wish Russell Tovey was called Dave. Hello, yeah. Dave. Can I come in, Dave? And yeah, he wasn't I, I, him, was he? <laughs> that was, I, I think... Remind me of the Papa Lazarou scenes in the League of Gentlemen, the scenes between Nathan and Bob when he was on the doorstep. It, it's going to be shown around Halloween, which I think... It's perhaps a stroke of genius on ITV's part because a lot of people will like this sort of dark, spooky drama. It's just not my cup of tea. It's not what I want in the, in the TV drama, I, really. I, I like, I do like a sort of, you know, like a horror thriller. I'll, I'll go, you know, I'm not as picky with you when it comes to, to, to genres as you are. You know, you're like, oh, I can't really do sci-fi. I can't do things that, you know, require that leap of faith very often. Um, but you, I just I, I didn't find this particularly compelling. It was very no. slow. It was very plodding. It was deliberately. It was also all very dark. Yeah, it was. It was all. You're right. It was all shot in darkness. Most of it. I I felt that um, the female characters, especially Amrita Akaria, I think that's how you say the yep. name, yep, yep. as Holly, was given very little to do. You didn't feel like she was a fully rounded character by the end of the first episode. At the end of this, I didn't feel like, oh, I want to see what happens in episode two. Mm. Not not at all. Um, so the sister airs across the week on ITV. 
because that's what they do with their dramas now. Okay, adult material. Well, if you watched it today, and I watched it after we recorded last week, yeah. then you go ahead. I am fairly confident I remember it, but you... Okay. You'll have a stronger memory. I, 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 the reason I've done this is because I'm going to watch the fourth one right after we record, so I thought that would be the best way to do it, really. So okay. I have this one fresh in my mind, and then uh, the next one, because I want to see how it ends. So this is episode three of Adult Material. It's called Hayley, uh, because th in this episode, Jolene has shed the uh, Jolene Dollar persona. She's now working in a coffee shop. As we said last time, she's lost a lot of things. She's lost um, her partner, Rich, who has now moved on to uh, rather quickly in a new relationship. This is only nine months after the events of the last episode. It's what players like us do, Matt. He now has the son, Gabe, living with him. The, the main story, I suppose, in this episode is that Hayley has fallen on really hard times, has turned to alcohol as a coping mechanism. Izzy is now sort of looking for acceptance through social media. She's become a YouTube influencer, it, I think they call them. Is it YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or... It looked like it looks like TikTok to me. That know? was the most contemporary sentence you've ever said um, on the podcast. One of the first scenes uh, we see that she's preparing for the deposition, the defamation uh, case that Carol has, has <coughs> against her. She's struggling because no one's on her side. She sends a what she thinks is quite a witty direct message to um, Kerry Godleyman's character, Stella Maitland. Um, and then Stella appears at her doorstep the next day to show her that it was a gobbled mess and offers her help to be her defence. She sees something in Haley and wants to help her, and they discover that there is this former assistant of Carol's, Nadia, who has access to the video of what happened with Amy, the, the alleged prolapse on her first day in the job. Nadia is wanting Haley to apologise for being inappropriate towards her and she eventually gets that apology and then Stella realises due to Amy who is living with, still living with Hayley at the beginning of the series, turning up with Tom Payne uh, to her house they're in sort of a relationship at this stage Hayley, when she sees Tom cowers completely in fear and Stella realises there's more to this than meets the eye and, and this um, leads to Haley revealing what happened with Tom in in mm. possibly one of the most powerful. Well, I was saying the most powerful scene in the series so far. You've also got Haley finding out that she's got cirrhosis of the liver because of drinking so much in this period of time. We also learn that Carol um, has AIDS, we reckon, or HIV. Yeah, I reckon so. Over a scene that the the song "Don't Leave Me This Way" is still playing in my head as we record yeah. now. They, they they've got the shafters as well in there. There's also the... that. There's also that um, sequence where Amy says to Young Izzy, "Can I have that money back? I gave you all those gifts, and now I need it back." And it puts her in the spotlight and her trying to get this hundred pounds together that she feels yeah. she owes Amy well, and she gets it from Carol who spots yeah. her walking down the street and uh, and that is a powerful scene between Haley and Carol when she realises that he's been in contact with her young daughter and giving her money. The reason that, that Amy wants the money is that we learn that she's got a drug habit now. Mm. She burns her bridges with Haley. 
moves into the hotel suite with Tom. Then Tom gets sick of her. She tries to go back to her parents and they don't want her. And then she ends up back at Haley's where they say we've seen the tape and, and presumably the next episode, the final episode, will we'll start with the tape. There was one more scene with the character Sabelle, played by Tamika Ramsey, who Carol comes upon in the toilets during the, the shaft as the adult film awards, and she's covered in bruises after filming a scene with Tom Payne. More happens in the 45 minutes that that this show takes up than in whole hours of some other things. It is just densely packed, but you never feel like you're being bombarded. It's just, it's such a joy to watch. I really think this episode was my favourite so far. As you say, that sequence where Hayley Squires is delivering that monologue of that brutality that happened to her at the hands of this awful director to Kerry Godleyman, who sits there open-mouthed and trying to take it all in. Incredibly powerful. And it reminds you that this character who you, you assume is this big mouth, quite ditzy, you know, has been through a lot of pain, has, has got a lot in her mind that she's dealing with all the time. Really powerful. I, I, I still think it's one of the shows of the year. How did you I feel? Agree. Because as soon as Haley has got rid of the Jolene personality, this is a lot bleaker now. You know, she's struggling for cash. She's working in this coffee shop with the boss that doesn't respect her. She's got problems with her health because she's been drinking so much she's alienated from two of her children the third one is growing more distance from her there's a scene and growing where up too soon growing well. up too fast and and um well there's that scene where she has to you know she's cooking her own dinner because Haley's working late shifts at the coffee mm. shop there's very little affection there the other two children want nothing to do with her and as we mentioned there's that scene with with her where she you know she's sitting on the garden steps telling her exactly what happened. Haley's feelings about sex and consent and things like that and how warped they have been. And there is that latter scene as well when she apologises to Nadia and talks about how her life was and how her parents were distant and actually talking about her mum is how she is now with Izzy a little bit. There's that, mm. you know, not going into late o'clock, so I had all this free time. And actually you're looking at that and, and looking at, the, the unable to see the parallels is, is now what she's doing you know as you say there's that scene with carol where she wants to try a cigarette i wasn't too enamored with kerry godleyman in the last episode but i thought she was really good here i liked i think the partnership between the two works you they're know, a good team they're there's a, a comedic team. element to it but there's also a lot of compassion in in kerry godleyman's uh, performance as stella you know she's the motherly figure that Haley never had i think as as a youth and and you know there's that bit of comedy that i think kerry godleyman brings given that she is a comedian you know but she does and that scene she is equally as good as the person who is listening and she does try to comfort her at the end and and she says no you know I'm not like one of those I hate those girls who you know accuse people of sexual harassment and and things like that and it, that's well, not she me. says like 45 years ago he touched my bum and I hate all of so that and he touched my bum in 1995 and now I've got PTSD I believe mm. is the line I just really admire it and I love the fact that I have no idea where this story is going where it's going to end and even it's like so the, rare. I was going to say even the music choices like I mentioned like don't leave me this way and and also um Gloria they start off with as well and I think yeah. even like the side characters are given 
more to do you know you feel like they're fully formed like even that character of Nadia who's only in two scenes here you you understand why she wants this apology why she's been affected by it but she has got that sympathy to Haley when she tells her why she does what she does why she is like mm. she is why she is incredibly tactile with people that she's just met and and everything makes sense if you're anything like me you're booked and busy from family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like Wrestling with Freddie, with me, Freddie Prince Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs, helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm, proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash career slash USBP. I'm thinking, will they give us a happy ending or is it not a, a pro, pardon the pun, uh, but is it not a, is it not a program that no. acts like that? Is it going to be more realistic? Um, I love the fact that we have no idea. Yeah. And it's so rare for that. Mm. And it, it, I have, on this podcast online, I have been somewhat unfair sometimes. If a thing's a three-parter, if the thing's a four-parter. But this, Kiri, National Treasure, it proves that if you know what your story is and your characters are full and well-rounded and rich, that a lot can happen in those four hours. There is a character called Rich in this as well. So. Um, that's, that's, what, that's, that's what the sister did. Um, but as well, I, I think what would be a happy, even maybe if she doesn't win the suit, I think the happy ending would be if she is reunited. Reunited. That's what I think the happy ending would be. And I, I'm eager to see as well what Amy is like, because I did have those theories denying the last episode. Mm. And it was interesting that her parents didn't want her there. So there's the insinuation. Well, what actually happened? Didn't she say that she grew up in care? Yeah, and obviously uh, not true. And obviously not true. And they were giving excuses like saying, we, not right now. And then when she left, it's like you did really well there. So there's obviously, mm. and it's obviously she has been playing everyone. And that's, that's It just clear. feels really grounded to mm. me. It's, the yeah. world just feels so beautifully authentic. And she, whenever she lets her mask down, and as you say, she's now let go of the Jolene persona. She's finding that she doesn't know how to be Haley. She's no idea what this so, what this person yeah. is without the industry. The scene where she and Stella go to see Nadia at Nadia's flat. She actually introduces herself as Jolene, doesn't she? She put the ginger hair back on. She's trying mm. to because she's so uncomfortable. She feels more comfortable as Jolene, as you say, because she doesn't know who Haley is. I've enjoyed it as a weekly experience, mm. though. It's mm. been so. We used to do it a lot on the podcast where we'd cover a show week by week. But as as time's gone on, there's been fewer and fewer shows where I've wanted to have that discussion mm. or I felt there was enough going on that was worthy of the discussion. But this feels like it's telling something well, so different. That yeah, actually, I, I don't it. know. I was going to say, I don't know if you noticed it, but we did more or less do it earlier in the year with The Nest. We did, oh, the, we did we three did, yeah. reviews of The Nest, because so, I'd watched it all and you were watching it weekly, so we did actually uh, do that. Um, but yeah, so I, I will be watching this right after, because I'm mm. eager to see how it ends. I was a little bit 
hit and miss on that second episode, but this one is a lot more grounded, felt a lot more realistic, and there was very little that didn't work for me. And those two really emotional scenes with mm. Hayley, where Hayley Squires delivers those monologues, and you learn mm. much more about her, and there's a lot more context about what's happened previously as well. So, so, so believably complex. Just brilliant. Next up is a new Nordic noir. I can't remember the last one of these we covered. It's on BBC Four Saturday nights in the traditional double bill uh, where the foreign dramas go. I can tell you what it was if you want, go on. but you won't remember it. It was State of Happiness. I didn't. Did I review that? Yes. It was the. Um, it was like a period Norwegian thing where someone was pregnant with someone's baby but then married someone else because they got hit by a car. Was it Norwegian or Icelandic? It was all to do with like a fishing factory and all these people who come in internationally. It says this something in my early, memory that I've a vague in like May this year. I have a vague memory of a fishing factory. Yeah, it was a Norwegian drama about like okay. yeah oil and, and yeah. there was the one with what was her name in Borgen? Karine in Borgen? Katrine. Greyzone, that was called. Greyzone, yeah. Yeah, that was so about. People who buy windmills or something like that, I seem to remember. Donald this... Trump would know a lot about that. Yeah, he knows more about wind than you do. Okay, <laughs> so... <laughs> Satire, folks. This feels more in the vein of what we know the genre to be. It says it's from the makers of The Killing, but I wasn't able to find what that meant, whether it meant the same yeah, producers it was devised or... by... I'm going to butcher this name now. Tor... Go on. Leaf Hop. <laughs> Sounds right to me. He was one of the people behind it, I believe. He was the screenwriter for The Killing. So this is uh, playing, as I say, in Double Bills. We've seen the first two episodes. This centres around Rolf. He's a respected detective in uh, Copenhagen. He's got a, a wife and a baby of his own, a young baby, and uh, he's called away when a, a a baby of, I think, 14 months disappears from her a nursery. Toddler, yeah. He uh, is desperate to find this baby. She has a father who is an immigrant who they initially suspect, but he takes it over to the DNA lab and his DNA isn't found uh, on any of the clothing that they find of of Mina, the baby's uh, clothing nearby. Uh, While he's at the DNA facility, he meets up with a colleague who says, you're looking for a plan for your little one. We've got one. She's waiting. My wife's waiting for grandkids, but our kids are only young, so it's going to be a while. So why don't you come over, get this pram, and you'll be sorted. He um he gets the pram, and the family are really nice to him, and they invite him over for a meal. There's an insinuation that the DNA has been found that matches a person in Poland, mm. and so um. Well, it was a pack wife, of Polish cigarettes, wasn't it? As well. That was right. Yeah, yeah a pack of Polish cigarettes found. His wife, who is back at work as an air hostess, leaves him alone, but the weather's bad, so the nanny can't come uh, and look after the, his young girl. So he takes Andrea. her to Poland on the ferry. He's very sick on the ferry. With, and with um, Joel Sc- Scalbo, who is the um, the forensics expert. Forensic yeah, expert. He comes with him, so he can yeah. help look after the baby and yeah. drive there. Yeah. So they're on the ferry, and... Um, Basically, he's in the toilet to be sick. He puts the brakes on the pushchair and leaves the baby for seconds, even takes the monitor in 
in the toilet with him so he can monitor any uh, noise or anything. And when he comes out, the pushchair has disappeared and the insinuation is that uh, his young baby, Andrea, has either fallen overboard or has been taken. Annoyingly, this sequence that we see at the end is the identical sequence that we see it's at the start. It's the Luke special. Uh, predictably, I had an issue with this mm. because obviously we could see that coming. Yeah. Whereas if if we didn't know that was about to happen, that would have been more shocking for Yeah, us. I don't know if we needed it. I don't know if it could have just started with something to do with the disappearance of this mm. young girl from the, the nursery. They could have... They could have showed that, couldn't they? Or some, you know, yeah. without revealing who it was, they could have shown this girl at nursery, maybe just something, you know, if they didn't want because to show. Because it was quite a long scene, mm. you know, running into the captain and saying, my daughter's either gone overboard or she's been taken. Then he runs onto the ferry and starts harassing the people in the cars. And it sort of loses all impact when you've seen it 30 minutes ago and you're, mm. you're seeing it again. And you anticipate it because... Mm. When he gets out of the toilet, it's not a shock that the baby's gone. You're waiting for it to happen. It's not, you don't, I I agree with that. You don't really need it. Again, it's one of those, as you always say, bear with us. If you find this a bit dull, remember this bit's coming in. It's quite exciting and intriguing. So that was sort of so-so. The second episode did something I wasn't expecting, where it moves the story on five years. Rolf is now split up from his wife. They've obviously couldn't cope with the grief, although she doesn't blame him. Rolf still believes that she was abducted, whereas most other people feel that she fell overboard, didn't she, in the, the during this storm yeah. on the and ferry. She just, she's died and it's nobody's yeah. fault and yeah. he shouldn't blame himself. He decided he didn't want to be in the big city anymore. He wanted something where he could be isolated, so he's taken over as chief of this village police station where I think he's the only person there patrolling the patrolling the beat if you will meanwhile the story does what all good nordic noir stories do and you meet this polish girl who finds out at 19 that she's pregnant she hasn't told anyone she's only told a work colleague who has told her there is a doctor here that will perform uh, an abortion for you for two thousand let's say pounds for the sake of euros um and she, Lottie, she, Lottie, Lottie, sorry. Lottie, the Lottie, Zelotti. Yeah, all good things I'm learning. So you don't quite know how she links into the story, and then also we meet a soon-to-be colleague of Rolf's, mm. Neil, I believe. She comes on the scene. She's this new police officer. She stops a man in a car, who um, she suspects has been drinking because he's speeding, but as she's giving a uh, registration details he speeds away and it is determined that the car he was driving has been stolen and is actually the chief inspector's car and which they find out which they find burnt out later they've got his dna from the breathalyzer um Mm. rolf just happens to be there and and rolf is instructed by the chief inspector to take this back to copenhagen to have it tested because i want to find out who stole my car the dna results come back as as they cannot identify this person because of the room key as you mentioned found in the remains of the car uh, neil is able to trace this to a surfing hostel where this girl molly the key belongs to the other people at the hostel say molly went home she hitched a lift this then 
she just happens upon this old woman who tells her the plot about this man who had just been released. He was the serial rapist and murderer who was the guy who stole the car and has abducted Molly. The question is then why did the forensic people not spot it? And it was something to do with mixed Mixed DNA when there's two DNA sources because Neil wasn't wearing gloves. So her DNA was on there as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, at the end, it is Rolf saying, I want them to reinvestigate my daughter's case because if this has happened, if they haven't identified this guy who's on the systems, what have they missed with, I suppose, both my daughter and the little girl who disappeared mm. in the first episode? I struggled initially to get into this a little bit. I found it very sort of generic crime by numbers, this mm. disappearance of a girl. Yep. I yep. think it got going for me when the actor Nicholas Bro appeared, who we know, who plays, who plays Scalbo, the forensics expert, yep. who we know from the second series of The Killing, where he played the Justice Minister, and mm-hmm. the third series of The Bridge, where he was that art collector man. I mm-hmm. don't remember that. He's just got a very, he's got, he's a, got a great incredible presence. presence. To, yeah. and, and this warmth to him as you say this thing with the pram where they invite the couple round on on halloween he just adds something more to it i think and and yeah. you know he's almost this larger than life character without being too big i suppose i think yeah. as well in that that second episode is almost completely different and i think it's a different show and i loved it from yeah and I, I think you probably enjoyed the scenes with julita didn't you the, the scenes in yeah, Pol- uh, but also the connection between rolf and this young up-and-comer yeah. who Neil. calls on him every time for advice and help and she's in the barn with this serial killer on her own and tackles mm. him quite quite well and and proficiently and I'm I'm intrigued, and I can't remember the last foreign drama that I watched that I went, yeah, I'm going to keep watching. I'm intrigued by this. I enjoyed it a lot. I would agree with everything you said about that first episode. We'd seen it a thousand times. If it was a British crime drama, I'd be saying the same. Story seems quite plodding. People seem quite generic. And then it gets to that point where they invite him and his wife over for that impromptu meal when they collect the pram, and I just... I've relaxed into it then. As good as his on-screen presence is, there was something about him I didn't trust. Yeah, no, I'm the same. And I think, I don't know, we'll get onto it in a moment. Is it just because we've both seen the third day and we're, we're a bit weary of... Of <laughs> anybody that's I know, nice. These sort of overly friendly couples in particular. Yeah. There's the insinuation, you know, that there's two young girls who have gone missing is there something more to this now is there a, mm. you know like some sort of abduction ring you know we're keeping poland in there how do you feel though are you gonna stick with I it i don't know i don't it was a solid as you say i suppose scandi noir as we as we would say um but i don't know if there was enough here to hook me in i did like the second episode a lot more than the first mm. as you did and nicholas bro is one of those character actors that is almost in as many of these as, say, the guy who was in Borgen as the environmental minister mm. who then popped up in Trapped and in... Yeah. What was the the terrorist one? Was it Below the, the Surface? Below the Surface. You, you, I suppose you see all these actors, don't you, Bob, between. But no, I liked his performance. You know, I might watch one more. I might see what you've... You know, if you are pursuing what your views no, I, are... I definitely will. Yeah, I've no idea where it's going to take us, and that's what intrigued me about it. And I liked a lot of the central performances. Uh, Nine o'clock on Saturday nights in that foreign drama slot, double bills 
on BBC4. This just in for your entertainment. Get the latest TV news direct from thecustardtv.com. My God, you are pure television. Guaranteed. What did Dennis Kelly do after Channel 4 axed Utopia? The third day is the answer. <laughs> that, that, on, that was a long pause. Man. Yeah. It, it's, it's, on, it's been on HBO, it's been on Sky Atlantic, and it's on the Now TV platform. And correct, Matt will correct me if I'm wrong. It's the first drama we've ever reviewed that Brad Pitt has exec produced. Um, so I look into that while you do that. Well, God up. knows how I'm going to set this. Up. I have no idea how. Well, to I'll try. I'll, tr- I'll try. So this is a well. It was a six-parter with a an additional twelve-hour live stream in the middle. Six Dennis Kelly has at least co-written all six episodes of this. Yeah. Crucially, there's there's two different directors working on this, and yeah. it's, it's, Mark it's, Munden from Utopia does the first yeah. half. And then Philip um, Lothrop, who did Lothorpe, sorry, who did uh, Three Girls, Five Daughters, and yep. uh, a partridge in a bedroom. And most recently, directed the film uh, Misbehaviour. So the first half, though, as you say, is Mark Munden directing, Dennis Kelly writing. So Utopia Team Reunited. The three episode section is called Summer. It follows Jude Law's character Sam. You see him at the coast. He goes there every year to sort of mourn the loss of his son, who went missing. We're not sure how long ago at that time. Uh, He finds a girl who is attempting to hang herself. He manages to cut her down and then says, where are you from? You know what? I need to take you back home. Finds out that she lives on uh, O.C. Island, which is a small island. Um, I did read about it, and apparently it's owned by a music producer now, and Rihanna recorded her last album there. Is that where she found love? Is yeah, O.C. Island no, the hopeless place. place? No, it was only the most recent album. I think this oh, year, God. I think, just probably before coronavirus. I have no hits off that yet <laughs> to reference. So Sam goes to O.C., leaves Epona in the care of the Martins, who are played by Paddy Constantine and Emily Watson, who run the local inn. There is sort of a ticking clock element throughout all of this, where there's a causeway that connects the island to the mainland, but is only open at certain times. The tide is up, you know. Every so often you'll get, you know, it's only 10 minutes till the causeway shot. Predictably, Sam misses the cutoff and um, is offered to stay the night by the Martins. They allude that they have uh, forgotten that someone else is also staying in the only room they've got there. Catherine Waterston's Jess, who says about her husband being very connected, having strong beliefs in the island. As Sam stays on the island, he becomes more and more paranoid. There's the insinuation that they might have had something to do with his son's disappearance. Everyone is quite hostile. There's a sort of mythology to the island. People they're having aren't, a festival they're having that a they're fest- preparing for. Yeah. And, and people aren't as they seem. The, the, the big reveal at the end of this section is that Sam is... Descendant. Direct descendant of the original OC. He keeps saying how his granddad was stationed there during the war, but he was actually, you know, there as as the 
the father, I suppose, of the island is what they call it. The Martins also tell him that they were the people responsible for abducting his son and his son mm. is still on the island. And it ends with him accepting to live in the big house on the island. And that's the end of that first sequence. Can we pause? Discover, this is Daniela. Hi, it's Jennifer Coolidge. I just want to thank you for making me feel so special. I earned cash back on debit for my dinner party groceries. That's great. But with Discover Cashback Debit, we give everyone cash back on everyday purchases. Anything else I can help you with? Do you like asparagus and mushroom sorbet? I've got leftovers. Introducing Discover Cashback Debit, a checking account with cash back. It pays to Discover. Eligibility in terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fair. Because if I was about to watch the third day, I would want somebody to pause there. So what I think we should do is we should say what we thought of this section. Yeah, what yeah no, I agree. I agree. I agree. And then if people want to listen on, because we will spoil the, <laughs> the second half, then they can... But I wouldn't want it spoiled. No. So let's just talk about how you felt watching yeah. these first three episodes as a standalone I, drama. I found, especially the first episode, extremely hard going. I don't think it particularly had a great sense of urgency about it when it started. No. It was very slow, very plodding, a lot of Jude Law looking into middle distance. I think you knew sort of what you were getting here, that things weren't quite how they seemed. I really struggled, but by the end, by the first episode, there was enough, I think. It, it was very good at nailing the cliffhanger, so you, you yeah. wanted to come back uh, to see what was next. I mean, I, I think you knew that this was going to be, the genre they call it is folk horror. So famously, like The Wicker Man and more recently Midsummer was um, yeah. was a tradition of this. You know, there's all these traditions they've got on the island that need to be upheld. And then a newcomer comes in and witnesses it all yeah. and how do they fit in? And, and who's on your side, who's not on your side. And I liked the sort of macabre elements as they went on. But I felt, for me, this first half, because as I say, they were going, I think, for Midsummer and... and and the Wicker Man and things like that. But it felt like something that um, Steve Pemberton and Rhys Shearsmith would do. Yeah. Possibly because of the actors that they cast. You know, there was yeah. almost like, because of Paddy Considine, I couldn't help but think of Hot Fuzz as well. That sort of, you know, community who are conspiring to... It had to... a strange tone. A strange, yeah, but... strange tone. And I felt mm. Jude Law was very placid as the lead as well. He didn't do a great deal for me, you know... He, I think, was portraying the grief that, that Sam was feeling. And there was yeah. mention that he was suffering with his mental health, that he yeah. um, was in the middle of doing some bribery deal on some sort of planning commission for a garden centre that him and his wife earned. And then later on, you found out that he actually had the mm. money that he'd accused this man of stealing. So what I would say is I wanted to see what happened next, but it mm. was very slow. It was very plodding. Yeah. 
So yeah. I, I was I was mixed on on this first half really. I would agree wholeheartedly. I actually felt at one stage I don't feel qualified to review it because it was a lot of imagery. It was a lot of colourful insects flying around. I liked all of that though. I liked yeah, the but I didn't. I didn't. I, I did like it too, but I didn't know what I didn't know the what it meant. The mythology aspects yes. of right. Okay, yeah. because I think I I suppose we should say you know we. You particularly were quite critical of the American utopian not having that colour palette that, you, that the original yeah. Dennis Kelly yeah. version had. And you could see Mark Munden's direction here. Absolutely. And the score as well, I think, was quite strong. You know, it, it built up that sinisterness to it. So when the third episode came and he saw what everybody was like, it used that quite well. But I know I, what you mean. I also had this feeling that it was more like a piece of performance art than a drama. I didn't feel like it was a cohesive thing. I think they were throwing a lot at us and letting us make up our own minds, which is fine, but I've watched three hours of it. Is it really a, a drama or is it more a piece of performance mm. art and something to marvel at and get I, lost in the atmosphere rather than the story? That's how I felt at the end of I liked that, of that third. Thursday. I like I like that third episode. I thought, you know, once it was him as this man on the run you know there's that scene in the church where emily watson's yeah. threatening with a gun and then she gets electrocuted yeah. uh, i liked yeah. all of that i just felt and sometimes then, I, I, the and characters I, were lost yeah and i think as well you sort of knew i don't know if it was meant to be reveals that everyone including jess because she the Catherine waterston character she almost acted as his ally and then yeah. you've, you basically found out that she was working with everyone else on the island she was almost being blackmailed into you be his his friend and you know you you'll be able to see your daughters or something like that i think you thought that she was there as a tourist yeah. when in fact i got the impression she lived on the island as well i think that's what you were meant to ascertain I, certainly I, I in, in the second also half. It, it did a lot of things where it would take you down a path and then he'd wake up in a car and you didn't know if yeah. what you'd seen had happened. Mm. But also, as when the causeway's finally open and he's leaving, there's a weird thing where in his rearview mirror, he sees himself walking back up the path mm. uh, towards the house again. And I, I spent the time thinking, does this all mean something? Is this cohesive? Is this part of a big story? Or is this just building atmosphere because the other thing we didn't mention was it's in conjunction with i think punch drunk theater who do a lot of these sort of performances around the country of this okay. sort of thing and uh, the middle section that we won't talk about because i mm. didn't see i watched destined uh, uh, to be yeah. a music festival on oc island mm. which the coronavirus scuppered because obviously right. they can't have a massive music festival and things were going to be happening within the festival so we were going to see all the characters at a festival which just couldn't happen well, i sort of skimmed through this 12 hour thing it was our festival you know it was it was this i i think making sam into the father of the island right. there was this big ceremony where loads of people were sort of dunked in a barrel of mud it introduced the Paul K character of the cowboy who was quite prominent mm. in in the final part and also it had Florence Welch singing and they prominently used Dog Days Are Over didn't they in, in both yeah. parts really. Uh, the third part is really spoilery so yeah. if we've intrigued you if we've tickled your fancy there Ooh. and the third part is very different then Stop listening now. Turn the tape over to side B. 
So the third section, we meet Helen, who's played by Naomi Harris, and her two daughters, Ellie, who's played by Nico Parker, who is uh, Tandy Newton's daughter. Who may as well be Tandy Newton, let's just be honest. And Tallulah, uh, who they call Lou and is played by Charlotte Gairdnam Hell. They are coming to the island. Initially, Helen is saying that it's Ellie's birthday treat. She is interested in archaeology and there's some archaeological science that she's found out about that will be of use. We find out that Helen is struggling to pay the mortgage, that Ellie has had an incident at school where she has uh, been bullied by some girls and severely injured one of the girls in sort of Mm -hmm. like a revenge attack. Tallulah is always on on her tablet. Ellie has sort of become more religious there's the insinuation that their grandmother is is very religious and she's looking for something to latch onto. I think because of our knowledge of the island from the first half of the piece, we know that the people aren't to be trusted. She's booked in an Airbnb and the uh, the mother and son there tell her to go away. She keeps trying to find somewhere to stay. She eventually ends up at the Martins pub and sort of plants herself by the fire and says, I'm staying here, basically. The big mm. reveal, which I sort of guessed, and you probably sort of guessed as well, is that the these are Sam's wife and children. Do you know what? I didn't guess it. Oh, you didn't? I, hon- I honestly didn't guess it. Okay. It didn't occur to me, because from all the press stuff I'd been given, they'd been very clever in as much as they'd, they'd said it was three very different sections, and I had just gone along with it and thought well Sam's had his experience on the island this is now what happens to Naomi Harris's character and he says throughout that first section numerous times have you got any kids yet two girls and a boy Mm. in fact at one point I thought this is getting repetitive now yeah two girls and a boy and even when Naomi Harris turned up with two girls Mm. it didn't dawn on when did it dawn on you I think when she when there was two and I think when they were talking about money worries as well I think two girls money worries there's got to be a connection here you know what what are they going to do that's going to wrap yeah. this up because there was still something to tell there with Sam with that character so I, I was genuinely thinking... perhaps it's being really dim I didn't I genuinely didn't think that the stories mm. would interlap overlap and I don't know why but I think it's because they made a, a special deal of saying. This section, there's the autumn section Mm. and then there's this winter section. There is this tension on the island when they arrive. Turns out that Jess is giving birth to what turns out to be Sam's child. There was a a section in in the first episode or second episode where they had wondered whether they had had sex because they were in the same bed in the inn and then they found out and that they had. And she said she gets pregnant at the drop of a hat, basically. Yeah. She is having what is now the ancestor to the island. Things haven't gone well under Sam's leadership, even though... Give it a minute, love. It's only yeah. been since summer. There's, like, divisions in the island. People who think they should wait to see, you know, more of what Sam will be able to offer or have Jess and her new child as the people sort of running the mm. island now and there's a lot of violence and, and things like that mm. and it's Helen who helps with the labour Mrs Martin knows a little bit about she's delivered babies before but Helen used to work as a vet they help her deliver the baby she mentions that the dad's name is Sam and Helen puts two and two together the end of the second episode here in this section is that she confronts Sam she sees Sam on the pier 
looking um, more godlike with long hair and long sort of flowing locks and then she reveals the reason she has come is not to reunite the family but that she wants the forty thousand pounds that he stole she was wanting to divorce him long before he came to the island Mm. she reveals that it's actually been 10 years since the son disappears Mm. crucially that the boy that they said is nathan isn't nathan at all as she says he's the wrong Mm. color mrs martin and again you don't know how how much to believe this character says yeah we did kidnap him but actually the the guy we used accidentally killed him and then we threw him in the sea they then want to get off the island with the money but there is this tension. They've closed the causeway, burnt Helen's car. Ellie then becomes enamoured with Jess and her daughter and the island. She sort of becomes enamoured with the mysticism. She's so... looking for somewhere to belong yeah, as well, which yeah. is why it appeals. The thing that I questioned here is that she didn't want Ellie to actually see Sam, but then why did she bring the girls to the island to begin with? Why couldn't she have just left them with her mum and and gone to the... If... Cause I think what we were meant to believe going in is that she wanted to reunite the family and then the reveal is, no, she just wants the money. But if she just wanted the money, why didn't she go on her own? That is my question. Well, I think think maybe when she saw him and and he's in the the midst of psychosis again, she thought, I don't want to be with you. I just want the money because you've let us down a lot through our lives. And What she was saying was that she didn't want to be with him before he left. She mm. was saying, I want to divorce you, but you never signed the papers. The thing is that she then basically loses both of the girls and there's a scramble mm. to find them. Ellie comes back to it awfully quickly after saying, I don't want anything to do with you. That bit mm. got me as well. And I, I don't know, should we spoil the ending here? Uh, no. How okay. did you feel? And I think we're going to agree with this again. I, I really like this second part. Obviously, as you as you heard, I did pick a few holes in the plot for me it felt Mm. like they felt like a lot of these reveals were more clever than they were you know i didn't Mm. guess that she was just coming for the money and that she wanted i didn't guess that the child had been dead longer than we assumed yeah yeah and that was all well done i i I thought the ending was good i would have maybe liked a little bit more it was slightly ambiguous which you know it's dennis kelly so i think you can let Mm. him off there to an extent but Everyone got what they deserved, I suppose, by the end of the piece. And Naomi Harris's performance in that last scene was was Whoa. absolutely brilliant. It was a lot more grounded. I think it had more had more of a sense of urgency because you had three characters navigating uh, uh, more than one. And I think Nico Parker's performance as Ellie and I know she, you, you oh mentioned my God. she's remarkable. And I think you know you feel that it's so like these girls have basically lived in the shadow of their brother all their lives. Mm. It's, we're thinking mm. and this is why and her, her dad's mental health issues mental health issues you know this yeah. psychosis and and the ways the way the parents have grieved yeah and i i liked all of it you know that that Tallulah was this sort of gobby preteen who was assessed with a tablet was quite derogatory to yeah. ellie and saying you know you're you're just like dad you're as psychotic as him but she yeah. came you know she came good she was the one who sort of reunited the family and, and helped them in that final scene. I, I think it worked with, and I know you're the one who likes the grounded elements more than me, but yeah. that helped it more having I just three... found I relaxed yeah. almost immediately. Yeah. Almost immediately. The first three I did out of pure obligation to you, I got to the end and I was like, I don't know if I've got enough to say because I don't think I understood enough of it 
But as soon as those three women were in the car and that dynamic was established and they were exploring the island too, immediately on side. And I watched those three episodes. I think I watched the first two together and then I spent all evening thinking about it and watched the first one the next morning because I just, I want, I needed to, I wanted to. And we were recording a podcast about it, which we've always had some emergency. But I just found the three the three girls just so magnetic, so believable as a family unit. And I just relaxed into it and was willing to let them be my anchors through it and, and just let everything that confused me or or that I didn't feel comfortable with in the first section just, just happen. I think it's one of the best things I've seen and best things we've talked about for a long time because, again, I didn't have a clue what this was going to do in terms of story. It's unlike, and it's really hard. You did a perfect job summing it up because it is, as much as I loved it, it's a really hard show to pin down. Mm. and to. It's almost like you've got to, it's something, I said it's like performance art at the beginning. It's almost something you've got to experience rather than watch. It left me feeling lost at the end. I wanted to spend more time, not on the island, but more with those three and make sure they were safe. And the bits that irritated me or frustrated me or confused me at the beginning were sort of fading away and I understood more about who these people were and how desperate they were to hold on to what they believed was their culture. And I think Naomi Harris, she's so good and she's particularly good here. Yeah, I, I yeah, one and of my I think... favorites. One of my favorites for a long time. I really so enjoyed it. Just winter of the day is one yeah, of. Yeah, but I think I think if I watched it again, I think I would. Imp- I think I'd see more. Yeah. Of what was coming, You'd... I think it was a lot of foreshadowing that was more than likely lost on me because I just wasn't expecting so, what was coming. Or you would OC more. I think it helped here as well. There was two more, I, I suppose, as I mentioned, Philippa Lothorpe's direction, maybe a little bit more away from the, the mysticism of the, yeah. uh, Mark Munden, you know, and Dennis Kelly together. This is more the utopia side of things, whereas this is a little bit more grounded. She's more doing these, you know, these dramas, like we said, like Three Girls, Five Dawns. And there's also two other writers on two of the three episodes. Dennis Kelly wrote the final episode, but there's this writer, Kit Duval, and also another writer called Dino Lachlan. So the three of them wrote... Mm episodes four and five together so i don't know if these th- these two help sort of ground them dennis kelly is an interesting figure because pre-utopia he was known for pulling so you know it's it's not mm. like he has got a certain style about him but the first half did not have the energy of no or the characterization i would say yeah there was aside from the main family i was disappointed with Catherine waterston's performance here i don't I, I found her really annoying. Quite whiny. Yeah, especially in this in the second part where she sort of becomes the more powerful aspect mm. of, of the island. And everyone else was doing, like, local yokels, really, weren't they? I mean, mumbling Paul Kay in the, in the winter half was possibly the, the low yeah. point of, of this. I agree with you. I think this uh, certainly here a star-making performance from Nico Parker. Um, she was just amazing. Yeah, certainly a tale of two halves. I said this before, and I do believe it's true. It's certainly true in my case. If we were having a normal 2020, if anyone can remember what that might have looked like, and we had Succession on, and we had Line of Duty on, and we had Unforgotten on, 
would I have had the six hours I needed to give this the attention it was worthy of? And the answer is probably not. There probably would have been enough on that this would have just slipped under the ring. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That was another bizarre sky experiment, and it is so much more than that. I thought it was one of the best things of the year. This year... Remarkable, considering what what the TV landscape is like. I think we've had some great shows this year. And in answer to your question, it is the first uh, thing we've reviewed that Brad Pitt's executive produced. Thank you. That was all I was waiting for. That's what we had to get. Only to because we have we haven't ever reviewed an episode of Lego Masters. The best and the worst on the box. It's the Custard TV podcast. They're too good to be true. Um, we've got the next two episodes of Freaks and Geeks to do. We'll do one of these each. You've been speaking for a while, so carry on, and I'll do the next oh, Okay, I thought you were going to give me a break. <laughs> Let me play this backwards. So we are up to episode 15 of Freaks and Geeks. It's noshing and moshing time. This is this one has an interesting structure because it's it almost really does. three different stories and it feels like it should have followed directly on from the Garage Door episode, really. The main story here is around Neil still trying to get over the fact that his father is having an extramarital affair. He becomes a ventriloquist with a... Um, not a dummy... What was it called? A figure. A figure. Who he basically uses to voice his frustrations with the world, how he's feeling. It's it's a coping mechanism. And this coincides with the Schreiber party, the annual party where uh, Neil's family invites their friends and family members and colleagues and what have you around to their house. Prior to this party, there's been sort of a minor storyline with Lindsay where she is given a detention for sticking up for a girl who was being bullied by this massive guy who we've never seen before. Lindsay then sort of voices her frustrations about uh, the school and gets more detentions as a result of this. The episode then introduces Neil's brother, Barry, played by David Crumholtz, who is, I think, in his second year of college. Yeah. Uh, com- comes back to the school. You can see that Lindsay's attracted to him. No, maybe. I think it might be his first year because okay. they keep going on about have you chosen their major, major. yet? Yeah. Right, yeah. You can see that she's sort of attracted to him. Mr. Weir again gives all the best lines here, saying he doesn't want to go. He says if he tells all his dentist jokes again, I'm going to have to have something to drink. Neil tells Barry that 
the father's having an affair and Barry's basically saying, yeah, I knew, but don't say anything to mum. What's, what's it going to do to her? Barry and Lindsay are floating throughout the party and then go for a walk where they kiss. Neil spots them and obviously Neil has had a thing for Lindsay for ages. Dad gets him to do his ventriloquist act where he uses it to be quite spiteful to his dad. He then has this scene with his mum where he basically tells her and she insinuates... I've only got a couple of years with you boys. We'll sort our marriage out when you're both at college. And then the freak storyline is 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 another weird one. We get a little bit, and I'd like a little bit more of this because I don't think we'd seen this previously, of Daniel's home no. life. You know, he's late for school because he has to pick his dad's medication up because his mum's going to work. And, you know, he's got a very hectic home life, very frayed. This leads him to break up with Kim again. He then goes to the store and meets this girl who dropped out previously, uh, who is now a punk. She invites him to a punk club. He's very attracted to her, wants to be in a relationship with her, but then sees her kiss someone else. I I do remember this episode purely because James Franco has a full sort of punk makeover. You know, Nick and Ken really don't have a lot to do here, apart from just sort of accompanying him to the punk club. So... That's the basically the episode. Would you say, if you had to say, you'd probably say that's the basic building blocks of, of episode No, because I wouldn't say that. I think you would. I think you gave me the phrase. Very touching in the geek stuff, and I thought it was very moving. I think the show does moving really well, and as I keep saying, it never slams it in your face. It never has the poignant music running over the background. It just lets these characters express their feelings quite freely, and I think Sam Levine particularly good in this episode. I just thought it was a very sweet side of the story. The rest of it didn't really interest me. It felt inconsequential. It hung together very well, especially no. Lindsay's stuff. No. And there's the first thing where Lindsay's in detention and talks about how she's doing her homework and the teacher says, no, you're not in detention to do your homework. And she mouths off at him and just goes on about how much she hates the school. Didn't really seem Lindsay-esque, really. I just, I didn't I believe the, that. The only way it sort of fitted into what happened subsequently was that it was Barry saying, you know, it's not always going to be like this. You know, you've yeah, only got you, a year or so to you college. You become a different person when mm. you go to college and, and people will treat you differently and respect you more. But yeah, that the second half of the story really moving and really one of the episodes I remember. And in terms of sort of Daniel's, because this was meant to be like, looking at Daniel below the surface a little bit, seeing him at home. And I would have liked to have seen that episode rather than doing the big club stuff, you know, the memorable scene where he's got that hair, where he's bleeding from moshing so hard and getting caught in the mosh pit. You know, I'm not a poser, that sort of thing. And I I just felt it all a bit, again, like the stuff we Mm. were talking about with the marijuana, all a bit base, really. And and there was this layer that, could have been looked at a little bit deeper and again i don't know if this is now having read that about the the network influence on them whether that again plays into that a little bit the influence from the network it's very much made at a time where a comedy was a comedy and a drama was a drama and i think the people who made it knew what tone they wanted it to be but i imagine doing all my research and watching a documentary that i did that they were getting network notes saying well if you're doing this touching and moving sequence with the geeks, then can we have some quote-unquote funny stuff with the freaks? 
it didn't gel because I didn't I didn't believe it. As we get to the final few episodes here, it feels, and I don't know when they found out that they weren't going to be recommissioned, that they were building stuff for the next series. So Absolutely. the stuff with the the stuff with the Schreibers and their marriage, the stuff with Daniel's home life. You know, we'll we'll give you a little bit of teaser and we'll go back to it more next season. Even Bill's home life, you know, was Bill's he still living with the gym teacher? As we'll go on to this next episode with Nick's home life as well. But yeah, I, I echo your sentiments, especially with this. And actually, I hadn't remembered how good an actor Sam Levine was. I always remember him as being the comic foil there. He and uh, Martin Starr being sort of the comic presences. And actually, both of them are equally as adept at doing that dramatic stuff. I think possibly based on what they've done since especially sam levine i know is a i watch a lot of this um online movie quiz uh, on youtube used to be part of collider and he's one of the personalities on that now you know when i've seen him in things like inglorious bastards i always think he's playing <laughs> playing the same character but his dramatic stuff here the stuff with the you know the stuff with the the ventriloquism how he was able to voice his frustrations. That scene where he's mm. with the counsellor and he says, I found out my dad's cheating on my mum. Yeah. And he and just he can't say anything. And I just... know what to do. And the look on his face when he sees his brother kissing Lindsay, you know, and he's had this crush on Lindsay all these years. And, and I just thought he was fantastic throughout this. And actually, um, Amy Aquino, who we've both seen recently during our ER rewatch, here is Sam's mum. Um, mm. And she was brilliant in that scene where she's like, you know, I'm I'm ignoring the fact that your dad's cheating on me because I want to be a mum at the moment. I can look at my marriage after you've gone to college as well, like your brother already has. And I, 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 I think it's so well done. It's just a bit sad that these stories that they are building up to look into more next season didn't get that at all. They prove that they can do good comedy. I still believe that Mr Weir is one of the best comedy creations and one of the funniest TV parents without being cliched or embarrassing ears sometimes but just him getting drunker and drunker so he can survive what he thinks is going to be this nightmare party uh, and then he finds everything including Neil's rather savage uh, ventriloquism act really in, really funny and I find him a joy it's when they try and do things overtly comic and overtly cliched like taking the freaks off to a a punk nightclub that I just lose interest a bit because I think all those characters are better than that story. If you want to go on to the next episode now that Mr Weir actually is one of the central figures in the second episode. Yeah, this is called Smooching and Mooching. In the Geeks storyline, Cindy Sanders is back on the scene. Yay! Uh, And she's finally broken up with her boyfriend, Todd, And she asks to speak to Sam and they have long conversations on the phone. And she finally says, I deserve a good guy, which is what she sees Sam as. She has words with Bill because they're lab partners in science and says, well, you asked Sam to ask me to this upcoming party. He reluctantly does, nervously does, and then learns that this is a make-out party where they do things like spin the bottle and seven minutes in heaven and all the usual cliched high school games at parties and things the other side of the coin nick's dad sells his drums he feels like he's become complacent at school that they're a distraction and ultimately they're just too noisy and he's 
spoken about, spoken about the noise and his destruction so many times that he's reached the end of his tether and he sounds the drums and Nick storms out of the house with nowhere to go. He spends an evening on Daniel's floor and then sort of ingratiates himself into the Weir household by knocking on the door while they're having pot roast. Lindsay believes both her parents will send Nick packing. They don't think a lot of him and for some reason and to Lindsay's amazement after hearing Nick's sort of sub-story he, he says, you know, why don't you stay the night and and um, becomes almost a mentor and Nick stays there for a much longer period and neither Lindsay or Sam can understand it and um, Mr Weir happens to walk in the room while uh, Nick is listening to his idol, Neil Pert. He says, you call that drumming, that's rubbish and basically shows him one of the best like Buddy Rich CDs and there's a brilliant sequence where him and uh, the Weirs are dancing around the living room and Sam and Lindsay are just watching in amazement as their parents seem to be completely in love uh, with having Nick around and completely at ease with it. And it's blowing Lindsay's mind because she feels that Mr Weir is very strict with her and she can't understand why he has taken such a shine and almost acted and stepped up as a father figure to Nick. And I thought it was it was just... Can I use the word lovely? It sounds daft for me to say. Charmed. Yes. Because I just I just think Mr. Weir is... Sometimes he can be, as I said, your stereotypical embarrassing dad and picking all the faults out of the Who's squeeze box because it sounds like a sex thing and you can, you know, look at sowing your wild oats when you're married and all that. But then there's this other side to him where you see the human side to him, the male side to him, and we find out that the reason that... He's been so warm to Nick is that he can see some of his own father in the way Nick's father has treated him. And Lindsay says to him, you're so hard on me. And he says, I am, but not really. Just trust me, I'm not. Mm. So there's a there's an uh, inclination there that uh, Mr. Weir has been brought up very disciplined and not allowed to experience a lot of life when he was Lindsay and Sam's age. Brilliant. And, I, and actually, I think... This was what, an episode where both yeah. halves worked for me. Well, we're just on the. I, I suppose just while we're on the on the Nick and and Lindsay stuff, first of all, is I like the way this plot ended, and again, I think yeah. it shows how Freaks and Geeks is different from shows now. Is you know even shows now, not even just shows back then, is other shows would have had the hugging, kissing, son and yeah. father reuniting. Instead, it was him saying. How old's your son? He's 14. Come back to me when he's 16. And mm. and that was how they left it. You know, it's time for you to come back now. I, I'm not going to change how I am, but it's been, you know, long enough for you to be in the way now. You know, of the cast, I, I found Jason Siegel. His performance ha- hasn't been... Yeah, I don't know quite. He's almost... And he's like this in other roles. He's almost puppy dog-ish. Yeah. You never, you never really, you never yeah. really, or I'm not, I'm never really on his side much. No. Because he always seems a bit of a wetty to me. Yeah. But I think this allowed him to do a little bit more than in previous episodes and, and show a little bit more range, perhaps, and, and show a different side to the character when he is being encouraged, you know. Mr. Weir says, you know, go to a drum lesson if you if you are passionate about this being your future. Yeah. 
actually Take learn how to play the drum. Actually learn how to do it properly yeah. instead of dreaming. I know I have seen some of this episode because I remember quite vividly this, the scene with... So Bill has to do seven minutes in heaven with this really popular girl who is really dismissive of him when they're in the group, only wants him to kiss her hand. But mm. while they're in in there together, that she sort of warms to him a little bit, that he talks to her about the jerk and... and yeah. makes a laugh and then they end and up just kissing. ask her what it's like to be pretty because yeah, yeah. you must have it pretty easy no one's ever and it, and as nice to me as yeah. they are to you and i think she is surprised by his honesty and sort of finds that endearing in him and they do end up kissing at the end for, a, for a quite a long time because yeah. neil's trying to go yeah. but i think the scenes with bill here i enjoy more than the scenes with sam if that made sense this was one of the episodes where I think both sides of the story I enjoyed equally, as you say, it's quite charming. And I think it has what Freaks and Geeks did so well is looking at adolescence through adolescence eyes and mm. the relationship you have with your parents, building up to your first kiss and things mm. like that. And, and and I think they did that really well in this episode. So yeah, the I more think we it... talk about it, the more unique I'm, I'm noticing it is because it, it does do all those things we've seen before about your first high school experiences or whatever, but it does it in such a unique way. I think only it could do. You've seen more of what Judd Apatow's done since this. In film, what is the closest tonally that he's managed to replicate the well, themes at least of, of Freaks and Geeks? Or do you think in film he always goes the more traditional probably su- probably super bad was that him he was involved like was. he was involved with that i think he might have just i mean super bad was seth rogan wrote that yeah he was a producer on that um mm. seth rogan and i think bill oh no it was evan goldberg wrote that bill hader was yeah. in it so the films he's directed it's been more you know he directed knocked up and 40 year old virgin and this is 40 and funny people which is uh, Sort of more, I suppose it tends towards the sort of the geek side, the freak side of it, sorry, than the geek side. Mm. Um, mm. You know, the sort of stoner burnout characters. I mean, Knocked Up, I suppose, had that charm. I think 40 year old virgin, you know, they've all got that charm. Oh, I, li- I liked 48 year old yeah. virgin f- for well, the same. 48 year old virgin. <laughs> yeah, I saw the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> Eight years after the original. We will be back next week to discuss the final two episodes of Freaks and Geeks. And it's surprising that we've been able to have a conversation about each of these episodes because that's how densely packed they are and how well acted and written they are. It's going to take some finding to find another show that you don't just go, well, this episode was all right or this episode was good, but not much to say. So we'd love your uh, your views either on Twitter or through the email, reviews at gmail.com. What would you like to see the next Rewind be? Just tell me and I'll probably immediately dismiss it. But it would be nice to get your views. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, if you want to, please tell your friends we exist. We're the Custard TV Podcast. You can find us most places you can get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, TuneIn, all the usual places. The website that we linger on is thecustardtv.com. Uh, we have a podcast Twitter feed as well where you can interact with us on there. That's at Custard TV Pod. And we even have a YouTube channel, Custard TV on YouTube. Find us and listen to our old reviews going back years. Thank you and good night.
Bye-bye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realize that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 